This is Nerd Podcast Radio, brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash nerdpodcastradio. We use the support of our patrons to bring you the best show we can. We also reward our patrons with bonus audio each week. If you would like to contact us, the best way to do that is our Nerd Podcast Radio Facebook page, where we share nerdy stuff and talk to our listeners. You can also reach us at brian.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com, mike.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com, erica.nerdpodcastradio at, you guessed it, gmail.com. It's not at, you guessed it, it's erica.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com and anthony. it's a joke anthony doesn't have an email address you can also reach us on twitter at SuperVeganBrian, at NerdcasterMike, at CurseySmurfErica, and of course, at NerdcastRadio. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio. Your nerd home away from home. Hey everybody, this is your host, Special Mikey, and along with me is Super Vegan Brian. Hello, nurse. And no one else. No one else. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with one for Anthony, and you can come up with one for Erica. Anthony couldn't make it because he came back. He was here. He was here in the episode, but the legions of shrimp monsters pulled him back, and now he is on trial for cocktail side. <laughs> oh my god i just see these like giant prawns like coming through and be like in their gurgle talk be like that's him that's the guy get him and just dragging him back through <laughs> so michael uh-huh. where's what what happened to erica this morning well you know she you know how she's she wasn't feeling good for a while and then she started feeling better and well she decided she was going to take this opportunity and she was going to go out and she was going to try and do a really long hike and you know there were there had been a lot of odd sightings in the woods close to her house and you know they haven't seen her in a while you know but they heard a lot of howling so i hope she's okay oh one of those ohio werewolves may have gotten her oh yeah oh yeah I heard uh, this one had one eye. You could see its testicles and was chasing a kid in a really fast wheelchair right before she disappeared. You know what? Um, you know what Ohio werewolves say? What? I <laughs> <laughs> You just go out into the woods and yell "Oh!" And if you hear it, you know there's an Ohio werewolf nearby. I <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So, well, you know, Chicago werewolves don't howl. Chicago, what do they say? Duh, bears. <laughs> they have, uh, oh, they, they, it's Chicago were bears. <laughs> yeah. Duh, bears. <laughs> you, can, you can usually get away from them. They're actually really portly. <laughs> so it is October, and we haven't done any kind of spooky stuff yet. So what are we? what are we doing today? Say so we're going to be talking about the wide plethora of the category that is undead. Because as my as as Heather says, we are crypt nerds this month. Crypt nerds, dude. I don't look good in I, I don't look good in blue. Can you do a crypt cape, keeper impression? Oh no, he, he's way too cackly for me. Tales from tales from oh. the crypt. <laughs> that that was so gravelly. <laughs> oh man, that was bad. <laughs> oh, oh! That impression was to die for. 
Oh wow, we are right on there with the theme. That is fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> oh, that was dead. I knew you could do it. I knew you could do it. Honestly, so, when you did your impression, it sounded like somebody literally had their hands on your throat. <laughs> I've had such a gravelly voice yesterday. It's it, lately. It's actually doing me wonders in karaoke. Well, that's good. Yeah, it, I, I, it, it's it's good for karaoke to have a little bit of a gravelly voice. But yeah, yeah. Um, so we have to play what's nerdy with you, but we don't vote because there's just two of us. Just the two of us, Brian. You go first. I go first. I, I told you this one. This one was pretty good. Um, so I finished book five of um, my series. I was reading Codex Alara, and I went on the library app, and book six had four people on hold. Whoa! Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> and they only have one copy of the digital copy available. Oh. So Did I went. Did you just off, go buy it? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I I I'm being good, but I um I went. To, I went through the library app to look for available titles, and Noromancer by William Gibson happened to be available. And I don't know the I don't know this book. Noromancer is one of the first cyberpunk books. It was written in 1983, and it is where the term cyberspace came from. Oh, yeah, it's um, heavily it heavily influenced the Matrix because in Noromancer, the virtual world that they go to when they hack computers is the matrix Ooh! so you read that i am three chapters in but the chapters are like 50 pages long Ooh, long chapters yeah they I, you know i'm used to like the books i've been reading where i start a chapter and it goes eight minutes left in chapter in my kindle and in this book it's like 20 minutes left in chapter 30 minutes left in chapter jesus that's crazy. Yeah, I, I switched it to how long it would take to finish the book, and it's all like nine hours. <laughs> and you're just like, I'm in. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's hard to read. It's real noir. I mean, but it's like thick noir where every other sentence is a metaphor. Ah, uh, it's not like real, um, uh, was it uh, dry? But one of the cool things about it is you see the cyberpunk stuff forming. Like he termed this, he, he coined the term street samurai. Oh, yeah, like you can see where Shadowrun got it. It's just like this is the guy who invented all this cyberpunk stuff. Dang. Um, and I was reading about the background on the book and he wrote it. He was really nervous about it. And then Blade Runner came out and he was like, I can't release this book. <laughs> he was like, people are going to say I ripped it off. <laughs> but he decided to release it anyway. Yeah, he released it and he won. He was like the first person to win the three big sci-fi awards all at the same time. And it's considered really, it's considered a classic and um, it doesn't, it reads well. I mean, it doesn't, you know, I don't feel like I'm reading something old, but it's just, there's a lot of metaphor. It's sometimes easy to space out. It's easy to just go, oh, just get to the plot. But um, it really kind of pulls you in and gives you the environment and, and shows you that this is like a dark, gritty future world. It's like I like it when he's describing the bartender and then at the end talks about his prosthetic arm and how it's made out of all these synthetic metals. And you get this picture in your head first of like a gritty noir style bar. And then you picture the bartender with like a high tech cybernetic arm. But it's like dirty and old. It's not the shiny sci fi world. It's it's the gritty future there's high technology, but people have been using it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's about a guy who 
used to be a cyber cowboy. He used to go into the Matrix and do missions and stuff, but he got caught by these bad guys and they put toxins in his system that made him unable to jack in anymore. And he gets caught up by a mysterious benefactor who puts him through surgery to cure him so he can go back and do this again. And he, um, the guy puts like a toxin bomb in his system that if he doesn't complete the thing on time, it'll go off and he won't be able to jack in anymore again. Oh, man. And not cool. One of the cool things about the series is he meets Molly Millions. And I recognize the name because Molly Millions is one of the characters in Johnny Mnemonic that is also written by William Gibson. <laughs> what? Yeah, William Gibson wrote Johnny Mnemonic. I I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the awesome. Johnny Mnemonic book is a short story, and then they bait some movie on it. I remember when I saw Johnny Mnemonic, I was like, "This is Shadowrun. There's just no orcs in it." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, you know, and so how far from the movie is the the book? Well, uh, like, Johnny Mnemonic. I don't know. I haven't read Johnny Mnemonic. You haven't read it? No, I just recognized the character from the movie. But I'll probably read it soon. It's a short story, so I'll probably read it after I read this. It's sort of a it's sort of a sequel, but um Neuromancer is the first book in a trilogy. But I understand that Neuromancer was meant to be a standalone, so I don't have to read the second and third book of the Sprawl trilogy right away. I can get back to my series. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, it was it was a choice between Neuromancer, Ready Player One, and The Martian. And I was going to read The Martian, and then I was like, no, I really need to read a classic. I, I think Neuromancer would be a good one to be able to claim that I read a good fit in and it's you know it's sci-fi iconic book so I I did Neuromancer and Ready Player One wasn't available so um everybody's been telling me that uh Ready Player One is the the book because I haven't read it so that it is very very good um uh more detail in it of course than the movie so I I read a complaint about Ready Player One that in the book Every time he gets a new challenge, it's like, wow, I'm lucky. I happen to have just played this video game and I'm an expert at it. You know, it's like he just happens to know how to do every random challenge in the thing. There's no there's no peril. It's just like he's the best. He's sort of Mary Sue-ish. Uh, well, I can. Yeah, I can get the. I can I can understand that complaint. And they well, fix um, that in the movie. Yeah, because in the movie, he's supposed to be just like fairly new isn't he in the book i mean in the movie yeah in the in the uh, in the movie he was um they changed the way the story worked because in the movie he had to know about the life of the creator of the oasis in the book it's more knowledge of pop culture and knowledge of the old video games i got you okay and in the book there's more of an emphasis on how pop culture has replaced religion yeah i can see that yeah so what about you? What was nerdy with you this week? Nerdy with me this week? Hmm. I think it was kind of a dry week for me. <laughs> no. Um, I got... Uh, I framed... I was able to frame two uh, two pictures that I had. Uh, one is a painting print of Han Solo, and one is a print of... Uh, it's the, supposed to be the whole crew of, the Seren- of Serenity. Done really nice. We were, uh, we were able to get that framed, and I've been debating on where to get it hung up at. I was telling you about that earlier. Can you take a picture of it so we can put it up on the Facebook page? Yeah, I'll take pictures of them. 
Cool. And then, really, for me... Oh, I'm, the nerdiest thing I did this week, I totally know what it is now. I'm going through the through the through the headache of being a GM of trying to get my group my party together to to play a session. Cool. Yeah, we've we've been cuz I have they gave me the same days off two weeks in a row, uh, this week and next week, and the one of the days just happened to line up with people having, you know, not having to be to work the next day. So I'm trying to get 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 us all to play on Friday Friday night. Because I have three people who work nine to f- who work regular nine to five jobs, and we can't play Saturday, so we're gonna try and so I'm trying to get them to play Friday night because they're willing usually willing to stay a little bit later if it's a Friday night and they don't have to be somewhere in the morning. But one he- but Heather and I started a solo game in Starfinder, and we're experimenting with playing for short times during weeknights, like three hours instead of four or five. And we haven't gotten to it yet because she's in school right now and it's just trying to come up with a schedule. So just so you know, it's hard to get a game together, even when it's just two people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we have the we had the inevitable one person say they can't do it. Um, one of my guys, he's working nights right now and they just switched his days off to Mondays instead of Friday through Saturday, Friday and Saturday. So uh, we uh, he was, went to see if he could switch just that one day with uh, with a, with one of the other guys. But. The other guy is going to be out of town. So I asked, I asked him, I was like, would you be okay with your, because his wife was there the whole time he made his character and she knows how he's played. And we, I asked him, I was like, would you be okay if like she used, if she puppeted him, made him a small NPC? And he's like, well, yeah. And she can text me at work and I can give input on how to run him. So we're, we're going to do that for this time at least. I just feel bad that he's going to be working just because everybody else in my group is going to work for. So Yeah. I, I've fallen into the pits of being a GM. Are you still playing in the Critical Role universe from season one? Yes, we're still going through the we're still going through the Taldori campaign and uh, the Taldori campaign guide with uh, being in Amon. They're I they're in the tunnels of the clasp, the uh, criminal organization right now, and uh, their rogue has been pretty decent and at disabling traps. Of course, cool. he he almost activated one that I made that was pretty heinous. Like if somebody hadn't said, "Hey, shouldn't we like do a check for traps really quick after a high perception roll?" and he looked at, and he did it, and he almost stepped on this trap that I had thought up, where when you activate the pressure plate on the bottom, the the floor of section of the floor actually lifts up and slams you to the ceiling. It spins to where, and it slams down to the ground where whoever stepped on it would actually be going, would actually be on the bottom of the slab and go and get smashed twice. Oh, wow. That's cool. That sounds like a grim tooth trap. Oh yeah, it was, it was bad. They, he was able to disable it and, um, they got, uh, 20, 20 feet of, uh, mithril infused chain out of it. I want you to go through those books I gave you. Yeah. And pull out the grim tooth trap book. Ooh, you know what? I might use those because I, because the class is known for really, for really gnarly traps, and I'm going through. They're also dealing with kobolds. They are amazing. The um, they're they're rated by skulls and by challenge ratings from um 3.5. So you can kind of get an idea of which ones are deadly. Some of them are ridiculous. Some of them are you're just gonna die if you go to the <laughs> trap. But I mean, <laughs> but there there's a lot of fun stuff in there. My favorite one is there's a bridge going over a pool of melted wax of like boiling wax and oh wow on the other side of the bridge 
is a um, is a, a giant statue sitting in a uh, throne. And if you step on the bridge, the statue animates and starts walking forward. If you attack the statue with metal weapons, the statue's yeah. made out of flint. <gasps> and no. the air is filled with the fumes from the melted wax. So if you attack it, a spark will go off and the whole room blows up. <laughs> the the and the the thing that I did with it is I made it so the statue doesn't attack. It just walks forward. So it's I, I just made it so if they wouldn't have done anything, nothing bad would have happened. But if they attack it just because it's moving. <laughs> oh, so you gotta have you gotta make sure the barbarian stays far, far away from this thing. Um do you have any players in your podcast that listen in your in your podcast, in your game that listen to this? Uh I know Two of them have occasional listen, but I don't think I don't have I don't okay, think I have good, any active listeners. I have a good one for you that you can use, and I've used this before on Daniel Cross, and it works and it's great. So have the players when they're in a dungeon go into a long hallway mm-hmm. and have them see a skeleton floating towards them down the hallway. Okay. Um Daniel ran into this and he immediately charged it. <gasps> it's oh, not no. undead. It's a skeleton inside a gelatinous cube. No. Yep. Oh. It's a really great trick. And it's low lit, so you can't really see the cube. Yeah, well, you can have them roll a perception check, but I usually make it around DC 20. DC 20 for perception? Yeah, and if they make the check, it's still fun. Oh, my gosh. I'm. Oh, you know, I just, I just printed the stat block for a gelatinous cube, too. You can even make it DC 15 and just have it a low lit hallway and it's far enough away that it would be hard to tell. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun trick. It's a, it's a, it's a classic trick. It's not one I made up, but it's a, it's a good one to have the floating skeleton. Daniel freaking charged it. And I just went, you just go bloof into the, into a gelatinous cube. And he was like, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to have fun with this. I'm going to, I'm definitely going to use that one. Oh, that's great. So, but so speaking, speaking of floating skeletons, skeletons. <laughs> yeah, it's time we talk about the undead because we're crypt nerds after all. I just picture this dude in like big thick glasses sitting in like and and he's like his like flesh is like rotting off and he's sitting in a um sitting in like a crypt with a computer playing WoW. <laughs> Oh man, Where, where's our DPS? Where's our DPS? Hold on, guys, I gotta glue my thumb back on. <laughs> oh no, my clicking hand! I gotta glue my thumb back on. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh man. Oh uh, yeah, great, uh, great radio. We're just j- giggling and chuckling at each other's jokes for fifteen minutes. Oh, that's what the show's all about, man. Come on. So, Michael. What are the undead? Well, they're not alive. And they're not dead. Does that make them undead? Non-dead? Undead? The non-living undead? undead. Non-living undead. Um, You have creatures that have brought themselves back from the grave, or someone has brought them from the grave. They've forcefully brought back. Yeah. Um, Let's take turns with examples. Um, Vampires. Zombies. Skeletons. Revenants. Ghouls, but more like D&D kind of ghouls. The ghouls from folklore are a little different. Mud, pretty much any kind of undead from D&D, honestly. Yeah. 
the the kind of undead from Stephen King, like pet cemetery animals. You, that I think a lot of that is like revenants. Yeah, liches, banshees, mummies, poltergeists, Jiangshi, doppelgangers. Oh, we can go on forever. It's almost like we have a list of these in front of us. It's almost like it is. Any animal buried in the pet cemetery. I, I said that. Oh, and I oh just you did. Oh. Stuff on my desk next to my microphone, so there was a big loud clatter. Uh, it just sounded like some. Jesus, I got six kids in my living room with cubes of to- with like these giant cube boxes of toys, just throwing them everywhere. So, um, basically, so undead are like they were people before. Well, they or, were living. Yeah, they were living, and some dark force has brought them back. And they could yes. be like incorporeal, like ghosts, or they could be like ravenous creatures who sit, who sate for the life of the living, like a vampire. <laughs> or they just want the flesh, like like most modern day zombies still uh, zombies. Right. You no, know, yeah, well, because you know, well, you know, zombies originally until the Night of the Living Dead, there was they didn't really. Beckon for flesh. Uh, most use of the zombie was when refer- referencing uh, vo- uh, voodoo, voodoo zombies, which were people who they weren't even really dead. They were people who were put into these weird sleep states and became mindless servants. Yeah, I've heard of that before. I I, I was I was listening to this thing the other day about vampires and how people used to really believe in vampires. Like it was like a thing people worried about. And oh yeah. A lot of it was probably caused by was tuberculosis yeah. because people didn't understand how contagion work. So they came up with this idea of someone who was wasting away and died and continued to waste away. So they had to take the life of the living. And that's why someone would get this disease and die. And then other people would get the disease, too, because they didn't really get how that worked. So we ended up with vampires. Yep. Well, you know, in, in uh, a lot of Eastern Europe, also, it, uh, they believed like you know, if you passed away and you weren't baptized or you were a certain numbered son or anything, you had a chance of becoming a vampire when you, after you passed away. So a lot of times, uh, if like people started getting sick in villages and stuff because again, contagions and everything, they would find out who like wasn't baptized or who had a, a certain type of sin, and they would actually go to their graves, dig them up, and because the way decomposition works, if they're still fairly fresh you know the skin starts to recede from your nail bed and so it looks like your nails have grown and everything so and, and like your hair tends to look a little bit longer because your your the skin on your head's receding and revealing more hair and so they would think oh they're alive and they're they're feeding on us and then they would stake dead bodies to the ground because the stake wasn't you know like you know a holy purpose the stakes literally were meant to hold them in the ground what's the difference between a revenant and a zombie you know what? I have to look that up because there is well, a there is a distinct difference. So we'll this come is one that. of those things that I asked that I knew the answer to, so I can just answer it. Oh, thank God, because <laughs> I could not remember what the difference was. Traditionally, a zombie and an undead zombie, not like a voodoo zombie, is like a creature that comes back from the dead that's risen by some kind of ritual, that, and they tend to be mindless, and they crave flesh. Where a revenant is someone who climbs out of the grave on their own volition and is out for revenge on their murderer. 
Uh, or whoever wronged them. Sometimes there's stories about revenants, about people who died when their wife was unfaithful or something like that. Ah, uh, yes. You see revenants a lot in Tales from the Crypt or in um, in um, Stephen King stories has when people come back from the dead. They usually come back for revenge and they're not like ghosts. They're actual they're corporeal. And sometimes yeah. revenants are just, they look like they're alive. They don't even stink. They're, they just come back. Yeah, they're they're just who they were. And the idea came up from people who were thought to be dead and came back to get revenge on their murderer because, you know, they survived somehow. Yeah. Um or people one, who were buried alive. Yeah, and and were lucky enough to have been in a shallow enough grave to get out. And uh, then but people couldn't get the idea that they died out of their head and decided that they were back they and that they were cursed somehow they weren't actually like just lucky <laughs> because people didn't understand that back in the day did you, have you ever seen those old graveyards with the bells next to the gravestones a couple of them yeah i have where where they were actually designed if someone accidentally got buried alive yeah i actually didn't know what they were for a really long time until i had it explained to me that you know some they would have somebody sit there for at least 12 hours to wait for a bell to ring yeah, just in case they weren't dead, because, you know, we didn't know how to check for pulse back then, apparently. Well, we didn't know how to time it, I don't think. Um, if so, you know, revenant versus zombie is a great way to talk about like mindless versus intelligent undead. Like some some undead, you get these like mindless creatures, you get like spirits like poltergeists and stuff that they're just bent on revenge or they're just filled with sorrow and they're. They don't really have any wherewithal or intelligence. But then you have, like, vampires that they can seduce people. What? Hello? Are you are you having an outside conversation? Do you have no. children issues? There's, there's, a, there's a child in here. <laughs> Pause real quick. Pause it. Okay. And back, pardon the interruption, we had a uh, family thing. Right, Michael? Well, you, we could define it as a family thing. I mean, I I I had to go and rehelp board up the windows and everything. The undead are at the door, banging it down. So, but yeah, we're good. We're making it. Well, of course, that that's why we're talking about it because you're you're under the assault of a zombie skeleton vampire army right now. But you know, yep. we the show must go on. We have to do the podcast. We got to do this. I was like, hey guys, you know, chill out for a second. Got to record, and they're just like brains, blood, your corpse over my dead hands. <laughs> so the thing I brought up right before we had things happen was there's intelligent dead undead versus mindless undead. Yeah, which so you like could, you could say a revenant would be an intelligent, and most zombies would be unintelligent. And then like vampires, they have intelligence, and you know, and according to a lot of folklore, they're even more intelligent than they were before they passed. Well, yeah, because it's supposed to be like being able to transcend the grave uh, impart some other worldly knowledge. Um, what do you like better? How do you mean? Well, like intelligent versus unintelligent. Do you like mindless zombies or do you like plotting intelligent vampires? Well, that's a good question. I, you know, who doesn't love a good, who doesn't love a good zombie that you could just, you know, take the brain out of and not have to worry about them being smart and, and getting at you versus a vampire who is conniving and smart and, and find ways to get it to get you. I mean, don't have to invite the vampire into the house if he blows up the house. I there, you know, there's another category because you got like the the mindless 
then you have the intelligent, but you also have like the mission based, like a like a Grim Reaper or a, or a um, a mummy, where like they're they're based on like a curse or something. Where so you yeah, they're that, intelligent. That, that is like a semi intelligent. Yeah, that that would be you would define that as semi intelligent because they're smart enough to complete their task, but they're not smart enough to be like to. I want to say handle it on their own, like hand, like if initiate they have to be initiated do you know of any good undead story because you like westerns right oh yeah are there any good like ghost stories or undead stories involving the western world i've heard a few i'm i've heard a few there's you know the you know, of course the the undead writers um then there's the ghosts there's uh one uh lewis lamore wrote it it's a pseudo it was a pseudo scary story but it ended up but it ended up not being like it was more like a thriller it was the ghosts as uh the ghost writers of the mesa Ooh, now, i i think of like the lone gunslinger back from the dead like um he was hung and then all of a sudden he starts he comes back and shoots everybody yeah um there was one where um you know the the good uh, always a in a western a good revenge tale is always uh, set up for a good for a good dark tale because there's a, there's a few done that way where they've they've actually died and they're they're tasked with going and paying ba- paying it back in kind to the ones who did it to them. Uh, there was one uh, I think it was Dead in Tombstone I think a movie they did with Danny Trejo where he makes a he's a gunslinger that gets killed and he makes a deal with the devil to go back and uh, bring him the guys who killed him as revenge or like Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex is a very good, uh, would be a good one too. Uh, Curry, because he deals with a lot of the darkness that was the Western world in the supernatural things that not a lot of people saw. But I think we may have picked a topic that's too big for the podcast. If we're talking about all of the undead, it's crazy, right? Why oh yeah. You, this is a massive one. Why do you think the whole unliving, person the person who is back from the grave is so fascinating to us as a folklore or pop culture phenomenon uh because it, it transcend because they're transcending you know that what we've seen as the final end you know somebody coming back and also it's terrifying you know in the stance of like zombies or ghouls because they're like they come back and you can basically do almost anything to them and they don't stop unless you do one specific thing. And that one specific thing is actually kind of hard to do, you know, which is destroy the brain or take off the head. That, that's actually in real life. That's actually a very hard thing to do. I, you know, I'm, why is it always one specific thing? Like, why is there like with vampires, you need a wooden stake and you know, the different cultures all have that too where sometimes it's you have to use silver sometimes you have to use salt why do you think that is why do we have to have a condition to be able to end it 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 it, it's comes a lot through folklore um from what their beliefs were back then because like silver silver was seen as seen as the purest metal it is almost like a holy metal like gold but it's uh, it's but but it's because silver you know in some states you know they've noticed that it's actually like caustic again it can burn things so that, like so whenever it burns stuff people are seen as un as unclean uh, because stuff like silver nitrate now so that so now that that caused them to think well you know if silver burns you and it's this like holy divine metal basically then you must be unclean so we so that hurts you so we, you can use it to kill you wooden stakes were originally used uh in eastern europe for vampires because you know it was literally just you know 
stake them through the heart because you need your heart to live. So you destroy the heart. You stake them through the heart and pin them to the ground. It was literally used to pin to what the, the to pin whoever they believed was a vampire to the ground. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, it originated around Romania. Yeah, I, uh, I think that, that the reason why there were solutions to the undead that were like specific things because it gave people a tool that they could use. It gave people hope. Like people were afraid and they felt helpless. So it was like, you can use a silver knife. Okay. I have a thing that I can keep in my house and now I feel safe. You can use Uh, salt. Okay. I have that. Let's keep one bag of salt to keep the ghosts out. Now we feel safe. You can use a wooden stake. Oh, that's easy to get. Yeah, well, salt was seen as a purifying. Yeah, and it's because salt was seen as a purifying agent. It was because you know, all the way back in the days of the Romans, you know, it was used in a lot of applications of medicine because it it dries out uh, bacteria and disease in wounds and other things. So it was seen as a purifying agent, uh, the holy salt of the earth, basically. You know, and so a lot of of uh, the uh, peoples would use it as. You know, that's a way to get rid of something that's seen as impure, which is like ghosts, which are basically just the spirits of people who decided they weren't going to take the gift of paradise from the Lord because they were usually had unfinished business that they weren't willing to let go. You tricked me, Michael. This is something you know a lot about. You always make me think you don't when we're talking about the topic. And then you're like, I know everything. <laughs> Jack of all trades. I know enough to be dangerous. Um, You know, it brings it to like religion. I think universally religion was used as some a way to combat these these evil forces. Oh, yes, I, I agree. You know, you could hold up a cross to stop a vampire because they were unnatural. They were the spawn of Satan. They came from the grave. They're back. So you could use the force of light to stop them. And that was probably that was probably spread by the church to give them a little bit more power too. you know, use the fear of these unknown, horrible creatures. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. Well, if you look at a lot of uh, early lore for vampires there's no talk of religious symbols being used against them uh if i remember right it was the late 1800s early 1900s that they started saying uh, you know the cross works on the vampire because he is an unholy because of his deal and dealings with the devil cool i i know some of the early ones were like dracula sold his soul to satan to become the vampire it wasn't necessarily he wasn't bit by another vampire no, he uh, one version of the lore is he sold his soul to Lucifer to um, protect his country and to avenge the uh, unwanted death of his wife, which 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 is what Bram Stoker really emphasized in his story for Dracula. But the story is that Dracula sold his soul to Lucifer to protect his country from uh, the Ottoman Empire. I'm going to bring up something that I bring up a lot on the podcast lately because I just read it not that long ago is Dresden Files. Yes. Vampires are a big part of the Dresden Files series. I'm going to do this with as little spoilers as possible. But vampires are a big part of the Dresden Files series. And there's different courts of vampires. And one of them is the Black Court. One of the interesting things about the Black Court in the Dresden Files series is they're Bram Stoker vampires. They're like how they're described in the book. Yeah. The reason why is... The White Council of Wizards released Bram Stoker's book as a way to educate people about vampires to make them less dangerous. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it was a way to kind of get people a little bit aware of the supernatural by releasing it as fiction. I like that. 
<laughs> That's good. So on to pop culture then. Um, what are our favorite representations of the undead in pop culture? Why don't you go first? Now for like in pop culture, like just like how they're represented? Yeah, no, what are your favorite like pop culture undead? Yeah, like do you like the vampires uh, from Vampire Lestat? Do you like the zombies from Night of the Living Dead? What are your favorite ones? Well, for vampires, I do like you know how they, the Anne Rice renditions of like Lestat, and then they they still seem more classical vampires to me. Um, Twilight can jump off a bridge. Twilight the Vampire, as Chris Hardwick has. They're like, fairies. They're, they're fairies. Vampires. I agree with you. They're they're hardcore fairies that and just have a curse on them. If they were represented as fairies and not and you know like. They like said that they were mistaken for vampires, but they were a kind of fae, and that vampires weren't real in that universe, and they were just these blood drinking fae. I think I could have gotten on board with that. I would be more on board with that because that would make so much more sense to me. Now, as I do, I really do like zombies. You know, uh, I, I do. They're they're a big they're a big one for me. Uh, they have been for a really long time, even though some of those zombie movies have scared the hell out of me, but. Which particular yeah. zombie movie is your favorite? See, it's a toss-up between Zombieland and uh, the uh, the remake of George Romero's uh, Dawn of the Dead, the one that has Vane Rains in it. Uh, the one they oh, did in the early two thousand. That 2000s. is so good. See, I really like that one because it that just seems the most realistic to me. That one scares me because they use they use fast movers. You know, Daniel Cross, our musician. Yeah. His favorite one is the remake of Night of the Living Dead, the one that came right before Dawn of the Dead. The one uh, that one has Vane Rains in it, too, doesn't it? I don't know. If I remember right. Um, Night of the Living Dead, 1990. No, that one doesn't have Vane Rains in it. I'm thinking uh, about Tom Savini is in yeah, it. That one. I know what you're talking about now. That one is really good. Uh, Tony Todd. Tony Todd's really? in it. Yeah. He plays Ben. He plays the, the Ben character from the original. Oh, you're right. You're right. But it was it was made by Tom Savini, just like the the um, Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah. Now that one's really good. That one was really good. But no, yeah, the Dawn of the Dead remake, I really liked. Um, I liked how they handled it. They had they had a lot of fast moving zombies, which I like. That terror. That is what terrified me the most. Um, My favorite representation of an incorporeal undead in pop culture has got to be Mama. Oh, I've only seen clips from that, and it. Oh man, it. I do have a little bit of a gripe with Mama because Mama's really scary. Scary when yeah. you barely see her, but near the end of the movie, she's floating around like crazy. Yeah, I mean, you see her over and over and over again, and she stop. She gets less and less scary every single time you see her floating around. Yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, the, when you're not seeing her and you just see her for a second, she's terrifying. But when you literally see her floating in the hallway. She hears the people downstairs and she floats down through the floor to get to them. It's cool, but it's not scary. Yeah, it stops being scary and more like action movie. It reminded me of the the incorporeal monsters in, in RPGs. It yeah. really did. It was like, she's smart. She's still based on her whole like fixation. But she can she does this like tactical stuff where she uses the fact that she can pass through walls. Yeah. Um. So yeah, non-corporeal wise, I mean, who doesn't love a good ghost? What do you like it when they never show the ghost, but they show the ghost animating objects? 
Yeah, that's because that's that's very that's very classic. You ever seen The Haunting with uh, Mel Gibson? Uh, not Mel Gibson. Oh, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. I want to say yes. I think I have. That describe it a little bit. Never see the ghost, but you see it do things like animate a bed or animate a lion next to a fireplace and it bites a guy's head off. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I remember this one now. Owen yeah, Wilson's I, head gets bit off in that movie. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that now. Yeah, you never see the ghost, but it does a bunch of messed up stuff. Which to me, that was even scarier. I think my favorite representation of revenants is um, Pet Cemetery. Yeah, because they would be considered revenants. And that little kid. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, all... that little kid. Oh jeez, no. <laughs> Well, yeah, he's he's definitely a revenant. Came back to punish his parents who let him die, and then tried to be selfish to make him come back. And he was like sort of demon possessed because you know it it was sort of like that Stephen King. Yeah, it was it was good though. Uh, but you know my favorite my favorite one for the revenant isn't actually a horror definition. It's like the true definition of what a revenant was. It's the movie revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, it's, because he has to he has to. Um, get revenge on this guy after he was raped by a bear. <laughs> I'm going to kill you because that bear raped me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. Because what about, I took, what I about your son? I killed your son. <laughs> it's like, but what about your son? I murdered your son. No, no, I get it. That kind of stuff happens. But that bear raped me. You're getting it. <laughs> this that, is that was a good movie. I, I mean, and you can kind of think of it as a representation of the undead because he does come back. I mean, he's alive. But oh, yeah, definition of revenant. He by came, all right, he, he should have died. Oh, he, he should have been have died. He, she so should have been dead, but he made it. And if you pay attention to the symbolism in that movie, he goes to the underworld. He like in his travels, you see him kind of ascending walking. back from. Yeah, he's he's he he has this journey where he he's very close to death and sees spirits and he's. He has to get pulled back. Yeah, and he may, he barely makes it back. Oh, man, that horse died at a clinch moment for him. What's your favorite vampire movie? Mm, favorite vampire movie. That's a tricky one for me because I, 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 like, I like a good... Uh, you know, only because it's the one that's coming to my mind prominently right now, I'm going to say Interview with a Vampire. That's me too. I, I like that one. I do like a vampire in Brooklyn, though. Which one is that? That's the Eddie Murphy one. Oh, that's what that one was called? Yeah. I guess I've never caught that one from the beginning then. It's surprisingly good. It's um, it's surprisingly good. It's really good. I also enjoy Queen of the Damned. I, I love a good Anne Rice movie based on her books. Um they were supposed to actually do the Vampire Lestat book into a movie uh after that one, but they um the contracts I guess got derailed after Ashanti's death. I want to see a vampire masquerade movie. Oh, that would be good. I um I saw Vampire the Embrace, which was a TV show based on Vampire the Masquerade, but it never made it past pilot. Ah, it was it was reared on TV quite a few times because it was really good. It was it was too bad that it didn't go anywhere. They kind of did it as like a special movie presentation instead of showing it as what could be a series. Yeah. Well, what other ones did I really like? Um, you know. Like, Kyoshi, you, I guess you gotta like Bram Stoker's Dracula. That was a really good one. There, I don't think there's any Dracula other than Christopher Lee. I think he was even better oh. than Bela Lugosi. Oh, I agree. I can agree with you with that. 
Christopher Lee was one of the best vampires. He, he was Drac. He was Dracula. Have you ever seen the Bela Lugosi Dracula? I watched it once. You need to watch it again and look for the big giant piece of cardboard next to the lamp. No way, really. There is a big giant piece of cardboard next to the lamp. When uh, I can't think of her name, the girl that's in bed, the girl that gets the, the first victim of Dracula. Yeah. There's a big giant piece of cardboard next to the lamp, and you no one notices it the first time they see the movie, but it looks so it looks so surprising. It's like, why is this there? <laughs> um, I watched a whole thing on why is the big giant piece of cardboard there next to the lamp, and a lot of people think it was on purpose. Really? Yeah, they, I guess. Back in the day, people used to put something next to the lamp so you didn't have light right on the person who was sick. Oh, man. It shaded the person so they could rest. Hey, you know what? We forgot a vampire movie, and I loved this vampire movie, and I feel like we're horrible monsters for not mentioning this vampire movie. Dracula Dead and Loving It. I have never seen that. You've never seen Dracula Dead and Loving It? That's Leslie Nelson, right? Yeah. No, I've never seen it. Oh, my gosh. It's one of the funniest movies for like he plays a very good funny dracula it's i i i I die laughing every time i watch it all right he has your typical like nightmare like a person has you know how you have a nightmare where you can't run he has that nightmare but it's because the sun's up he's running he's running in place in a park in the sun while smoke's coming off of him it's funny and it it just and it's a nightmare like he's a normal person having a nightmare so i got i got some uncategorized undead that I gotta bring up. All right, Idle Hands. Oh yeah, those. That's considered undead. I would think so. I mean, you could call it demon possession too. Well, I think as long as the hand is on the person, because the hand was. Yeah, but when they he cuts off the hand, the hand's moving around on its own and killing people. Yeah, it becomes. Yeah, it becomes. It technically becomes undead in its own right. I mean, we have to mention evil dead if we're talking about demon possessed dead because. You know, we never even mentioned that's a thing. You know, you can have demon possessed dead. That's that's a real pop culture thing that you see every once in a while, like an <laughs> evil dad and evil dead too. Yeah. Um. Oh, demon. Yeah. Uh, evil dead. They're they're a ty- they're a type of undead. They're not just zom- they're not zombies. They're not animated. They're possessed. Yeah. Well, uh, but they also in most more times than not they've they've killed the body they inhabit. They inhabit. They they it's demon possessed undead. They're deadites. They have their own term. So does that make demons that are possessing a dead body in Supernatural technically undead? It depends on what they do to the body. Because if you look, they hold the... Like, if, okay, when they when they first exercised Ruby out of her original vessel in the, in the first series, or first season, I, yeah, first season, she was holding that body together. I'm going to blow your mind. Go ahead. All demons in Supernatural are undead. Well, yeah, I would consider them Because undead. they are spirits. Yeah, well, yeah, no, the demon themselves would be considered undead because they're they're technically a spirit. But like their bodies are would technically become undead because you know once you do something to that body until the demon leaves, it's going to be moving around. So and it becomes that undead. means that Castiel is technically undead because his the soul that formerly inhabited his body is gone. It's in heaven. In that logic, yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> well, I was thinking. Well, at first, I was thinking. Well, no, because the body's still alive. But no, because the body is because when he leaves the body, the spirit can come back to the body. Because if you look at the first time he's removed from his vessel, he's the soul, the spirit of the guy is back in him, and he becomes who he was before. But after he was atomized, he can't anymore. After uh, he was 
blown up by the yeah. Hurricane. He can't anymore. You're right. No, you're right. You're right. Um, yes. it's, so it's his specific now. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. And I got I got another pop culture one that we, we didn't think of. Mm. Japanese ghosts. Like, like the Japanese? ring and the grudge. Yeah. Because the grudge was like a curse more than just a ghost. It was a curse. Yeah, it was a cursed spirit. It was like anybody who died in that house was trapped in there. Well, anybody who went in that house was basically cursed forever. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And then if the if Anna Ferris finds that house, then she's going to speak terrible Japanese and make him even more pissed. Uh-huh. <laughs> was that Man. your way of bringing up scary movie? Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, they, they, uh, those movies are... I, I can't find think most of a scary funny. movie without thinking of Come Fire Hose. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. God, that movie. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> he used hedge trimmers. That movie. Oh my god! Uh, I like the see. I like the second one more than the first one. The first and the second one were great. Now they're on like six. <laughs> yeah, like most of them were really good. Like I liked the parts in. I think it was four or five. I can't remember which. But he's like straight up. Uh, he it's they're straight up making fun of War of the Worlds. Yeah, and he's a, he's a literal terrible father. And <laughs> just lets his daughter get like electrocuted. <laughs> oh God, it's look, it's great. So, uh, role playing game undead. This is something I've been really wanting to talk about because this is like I have a legit favorite. But I'll let you go first. Oh, those live by hardcore rules more so than like actual pop culture dead. Unless you're a good GM, this then is you change. <laughs> yeah, then you change it. But they, there's a good amount of them. You know, they again, they have you have zombies, they have ghouls, vampires. Um, uh, what other ones were there? Like, there's a lot of them, and I'm trying. And like, I don't have, I don't have a full list in front of me, Brian. I bet you do. I don't have a full list in front of me, but I do want to bring up a few like exceptions and and my favorites. All right, go ahead. Uh, my favorite RPG undead, and specifically from Pathfinder or D and D, is the ghoul the because. Ghoul. They have their own culture that comes from folklore, but they've been made their own thing because ghouls in folklore are not necessarily undead. Okay. Um, in D&D, they are creatures that got a disease called ghoul fever that they come back as ravenous animated corpses that are intelligent and eat dead flesh. And one, one of the reasons why I love them so much is because I play Pathfinder and in Pathfinder, I was looking at the stats, and a ghoul has an intelligence of 13 as its average score. Huh. Average intelligence score for a creature in Pathfinder is 10, which means that ghouls are smarter than anybody, like average people, which made me realize that most GMs that I played with before had played ghouls as tougher zombies as like mindless undead and ghouls were not intended to be mindless undead in the game. And that actually yeah, reflects ghouls in the adventures that they can be intelligent. They can have classes, they can have culture. And I love that. So I really embrace ghouls as just as cool of a threat as somebody like a vampire. Well, technically in that sense, um, critical roles dealing, uh, critical roles, new campaign. Um, the episode I'm listening to, the newest episode they have out on their podcast format right now, one of their characters is an undead and he would be considered a ghoul then because he has, he has a higher than average intelligence. He's, he has a class and everything. 
Does so he eat? Does he eat grave flesh? They haven't seen him eat yet. They just found out he's undead. Like, I think I think ghouls are awesome. I, I think ghouls are awesome. I, the now you can argue that ghouls can be mindless because a ghoul, when it hasn't eaten in a long time, basically goes mad with hunger. So you can have the difference between a starving ghoul and a well-fed ghoul. Well, then that just means that uh, the chick for I zombie isn't a zombie. Yeah. Well, or zombies just work differently in that mythology. Yeah. Because she specifically has to eat brains. Which and is they the, turn into, if they don't have them for a while, they turn into like Romero zombies. They they yeah. straight up, are, and they call them Romeros in the series. Yeah. I like a zombie because zombies exist in folklore in that world. And it's it's I like it when they do that. It's not yeah, like I, The Walking I, I Dead like where those movies and folklore never existed and people are learning about it for the first time. Yeah, which that that really does bug me, actually. It bugs me that they start calling them zombies in later Walking Dead books. They never did it on the show, but in the books, they call them zombies. Do you know why? No, why did they? The writers forgot. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, I like when they when they call them when they just start calling them walkers. But also, I like in, in like shows and movies where zombies show up and they don't want to acknowledge that they're zombies, like like in canon. So they're like they start to say it and they're like, don't call them that. Like, find the, the the Z word. I. What is your favorite like RPG undead? Like either to fight or to play as a GM or just to read about. My favorite are. Vengeful spirits that people diploma use hardcore diplomacy on to stop the fight from ever happening. After I poured holy oil on my hammer. <laughs> who did that, Michael? Oh, I don't know. Some guy who made this like massively squishy wizard who knew how to diplomacy his way out of anything. <laughs> that was so much fun. Oh, that was such a fun game. I remember the GM leaning over to the new player and saying, I'm you know, sorry. normally there's more fighting in these games. <laughs> we didn't have a single combat. The only damage I took was because I failed a uh, um, a uh, um, a wisdom save, basically. <laughs> Don't blame me. Blame the writer for giving a diplomacy option in every single fight. Oh my god, that was the best. And you're like, because I love it, because we're I'm like we're gearing up, and you're like, I want to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Let me talk to him. You convince the ghost to move on and not try and fight us. I I love it when in RPGs when when diplomacy with monsters is an option. It's not an undead creature, but one of my favorite creatures to diplomatize with in RPG is an Odiug, which is a, a basically a big tentacled monster that lives in the sewer and eats poop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're horribly heinous, and if you get hit by their bite attack, you have to make a save against for uh, uh, a fort save for diseases but they can talk yeah i've heard i've heard that i've never encountered one that could talk but like i've heard i know they can i was running a game years ago for daniel and some other friends and daniel ended up in a situation where he was fighting one by himself and he was winning and the creature threw its tentacles in the air said me give up (laughs) <laughs> and Daniel looked at me and goes, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> me give up. I didn't expect it to talk. <laughs> me give up. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to figure out how to use them in Starfinder right now because I, I, I can literally picture you like you go into a restroom and there's like a glass thing on the floor. And instead of a bathroom attendant, they have an Odiug. And he's like wearing a suit. 
<laughs> He's like, oh. I clean up after you. It's okay. Would you like to try one of these scents? <laughs> it's like a tip jar. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> On the larger ships, it's the waste disposal system. Like you, like somehow you, the the players find themselves down in the septic area, and you see just an overweight, uh, an, a massively overweight Otiag just sitting in like basically a, a septic tank. Oh, that's great! And he's yeah, just no like, one ever like, comes down here. <laughs> yeah, me know me have crap job. <laughs> I um, you know, I'm glad I brought up Starfinder because I'm I'm the game is new. It's the sci-fi version of Pathfinder. And I am trying to come up with ways to integrate stuff that I knew from Pathfinder in the game. And one of those things is undead. There in Starfinder, there is an undead planet. Oh, good Lord. There is a planet that got in a war and they used a weapon to irradiate their planet to win the war. And they had taken precautions beforehand to make sure the entire population of the planet came back as undead. Oh, my gosh. That sounds like fun. It they run they, there's lots of cool things in the culture like there's a company that runs an entertainment network and the entire company is run by undead you have to watch out for their law department though because those guys are vampires oh god no <laughs> blood sucking bastards they they plant little jokes in it like there i was playing one adventure where you're where you're um you're on a reality tv show and yeah. the camera cool crew crew are ghouls what yeah, the camera crew are ghouls. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, it it really makes you think. I mean, there's there's a television show. It's run by an undead guy. Um, he's now a host. He's like a like a daytime talk show host, like Mario Lopez. Yeah. But he's famous because he used to be on a TV show called The Necromancer. Oh my gosh. And it was like a sitcom. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so I, I probably talk about that more in future episodes because I'm I'm like trying to come up with ways to use these iconic RPG undead. And since it's such a new game, there isn't a lot of lore built into it yet. So there's there's a lot of freedom to play with things. Like in the lore books, they don't have kobolds or orcs yet. So I'm trying to come up with ways to use those in a sci-fi world. Well, that would work. Well, orcs really. I mean, those would be easy. Yeah, but I'm not going to do the Warhammer 40k thing. Well, no, I'm not saying you had to. I'm just saying, you know, it would be easy because their intelligence, their intelligence level actually isn't very low. So they would still have the ability to go on their own. They would have just had a unified nation by then. I'm 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 excited. I, I but but back to undead. Um, I love role playing games. I love the undead and role playing games. Vampires are awesome in games. I, I just played a game recently where we had some we talked to some vampire spawn. I've never faced vampires, but I've seen them get played against, and they're terrifying. I've seen somebody fight a legendary vampire. What do you think of turn undead in role-playing games? I've seen it used literally. I hate it. I'm not a fan. I'm. I don't know if I'm a fan of it because I've never had a. I've never seen it used personally, but I've like in like in one of my games, but I've seen it get used. So I, I'm. I'm kind of iffy with it. I have never seen it used correctly. So, for example, I was playing a game recently. And we had planned an ambush on some undead. And we're like, okay, we're going to act like we're going to talk to them, and then we're going to attack. And the fighter, go, the, the, I was playing the sorcerer, and the sorcerer's like, I'm going to cast fireball. And the fighter is like, I'm going to attack him with my axe. And then the cleric goes, turn undead. And I'm like, why are you doing that? It makes him run away. Well, I'm going to do it. But, but we're ambushing them. <laughs> 
son of a bitch. Yeah, and I see that all the time. It's like, because I can, I'm going to do it. And it's like, but it makes them run away. You don't understand tactics. <laughs> when, okay, the way I saw it, it was actually kind of funny. It, yes, again, it was on Critical Role. They're, one of their clerics has turned undead. And uh, their warlock has um, like a ghoul, like a, a, a ghost servant uh, thing where he makes like a, uh, like a, this ghoul servant ghost thing. Um, and he forgot to send it away after the fight. So it kept following them around wailing and they're walking down a, a busy street in the middle of the day. And this thing is following him. And the cleric is like, oh, turn undead. And it goes away for like 10 minutes and then comes back. And he's, and he does it like three times. And then he goes, you know, it only stays away for a little while <laughs> and you're burning spell slots. He's like, Oh, and the, uh, Travis, the guy who plays for is like, can I just make it like go away? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And you can just be like, you're like, yeah, you did your job. And he's like, oh, well, damn it. <laughs> I was playing a game once um, with my friend Sandra. I've talked about him on the podcast before. And he got mad at me because I made a similar mistake. But I didn't think it was a mistake at the time. And I still kind of don't because it worked. We were fighting a Alep, which is an undead, um, like a ghosty kind of thing that babbles and can make you go insane. And... I cast Chill Touch on it, and Chill Touch was like a negative energy touch that can hurt people. But if you cast it on Undead and they fail a save, they run away. And I cast Chill Touch on it. The GM just has the thing go, whoa, flying all around for several <laughs> rounds while it's panicked. And I was like, Sandro was so mad at me. He was like, why'd you do that? We're attacking this creature. We're fighting this creature. But now for several rounds, we can't because it's flying around. And I'm like, good. So I just start casting buff spells on the party. So when it finally <laughs> stops flying around like crazy and it comes back and attacks us again, we kill it because we're all powerful. Love I it. stand by what I did. <laughs> I, I can agree with it, too. Anything that can give you time to do something. I don't agree oh, with yeah, what sure. the other player did in my one game because if they would have, they were already trying to run away by making them run away with a spell. All you're doing is losing. We don't want them to go back to their master and tell us, tell on us. Yeah, no, no, we don't want them ratting on us. Kill them, kill them now, kill them hard. You know, I wanted to bring up something about animated skeletons, and I was waiting to do this before we got into RPGs. What's that? Do you know where animated skeletons came from in folklore? So we have where? animated skeletons are a big deal in RPGs. They're like all over the place. You have, yeah, but um, they, come, they from? come from the movie Jason and the Argonauts. You're kidding? Yeah, because of the the oh. uh, the the stop motion animation. Yeah, you're right. And that's the reason why skeletons in D and D and Pathfinder have scimitars. Oh my gosh. That makes so much more sense. Cause they had them in the movie. <laughs> nice. I so like we are out of time. Oh, that um, makes me sad. I don't have a movie described badly, but I do want to describe a movie. I just saw do it. Jeff Bridges is a priest goes to a hotel in that crosses Nevada and California and while the zany noir antics ensues and people, some people die, some people survive and it's crazy. I want to see bad time at the El Royale too. Yup. It was good. It was good. Yeah. dude. You got to see it. It's, it's, it, it has a real good noir feeling. It's told in a really cool disjointed way. And there's some nice surprises. There's no big twist but you have some good surprises. You have you like it, it leads you one way and then ends up going another way. And it's, it's, it's really good. It's, it's good. Five different stories being told at the same time and intersects real well. It has a real good, like 
noir feel to it. It's based in the 60s. Okay, so it is in the 60s. There's a lot of like J. Edgar Hoover stuff going on. There's a lot of um, um, 60 paranoia coming from the 50s. There's it, it's a cool movie. Oh yeah. There's a lot of Charles Manson vibes in it. Oh Jesus. Chris Hemsworth is scary. Chris Hemsworth scary. Uh huh. All right. Chris Hemsworth scary. is very scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a good um, movie. I, I highly recommend it. it. Yeah, nice job guessing, it, by the way. Well, it was the moment you said um, uh, the state line. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it was good. It was well worth it. That was a See By Myself movie. Really? Yeah. I didn't want to see it, so I went out and got and saw it. It was good. Awesome. Yeah, it was really good. Um, so um, what kind of nerdy stuff you got going on? I'm going to try and get some items worked up for the uh, for loot drops since none of them uh, none of my players watch I actually am going to I had an idea for a couple wands Anthony actually gave me an idea for one on a on a critical role post that he that we both posted on um, I'm gonna do wand of spider what does it do it, ha- it it's gonna have two charges rechargeable uh, recharges every every morning it launches well one large spider um, where, and the, at a per, at a target, and if the target fails a DC twenty uh, deck save, uh, reflex save, then the spider then the spider lands on them, and the player has a choice of either of having them either restrain at DC fifteen the the target, or have the spider bite them with a DC with a DC sixteen uh, poison for at at D at one D eight um, and one D six piercing damage. Cool. And it's a consider, and it's a large spider, so it's like the size of a doction. Cool. And you could do it twice a day. Cool. I like it. And Anthony I, came up with one that I want to try, and it's a wand of bees. I oh, what does that do? It's a wand that shoots bees. <laughs> it's a controllable. It's a control. It's a medium controllable swarm. I got one for you from Starfinder that I really like. Grenade of Wonder. Grenade of Wonder. It's like the wand of wonder from Pathfinder. But it's a one-use grenade, and it basically just explodes in a 20-foot radius with a random effect. That's terrifying. So, like, you could throw it, and it could blow up as a fireball. Or you could throw it, and it could blow up as butterflies. Oh, God. Um, someone came up with the Wand of Many Things. It's basically the Deck of Many Things, but as a wand. Ooh, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> That's terrifying. The deck of many things is such a game game breaking item if misused. I, I played in a game not too long ago where the the game was basically just run awry by people using the deck of many things. It was so misused. Grog from Critical Role had found the deck of many things by chance. I've watched those clips. Holy shit! He drew fi- uh, when they were doing a battle royale as non canon everything. They were basically dream world fighting. He drew five cards. Wow. Yeah. I remember when they when he ran into that homeless guy and had him draw a card. He got wish. Yeah. He drew the way he drew the wish card and he became a lord of the cross and he became a lord of the uh, quad roads, which is hilarious. It was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And then he's uh, like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, and then he got cursed because of the, by the scimitar. He, it was one. Uh, uh, it gives you a cursed sword uh, the moment you try and use it. Um or the moment you try and attune to it, it's a really beautiful, innate scimitar. And then the moment you attune to it, uh, this like snake lady shows up, and you have and you have a 
you get a hit with a psychic damage, and then you have a psychic. Uh, this um, basically, a, if for D and D you have uh, what was it uh, disadvantage on? Um, I think wisdom checks. Um, I got an idea for a topic for next week. Yeah, want to talk about treasure and RPGs? Yes, sounds good. I like that. Hopefully, Erica can be there for that one. She I can talk she about the Ring of Invisibility she got when she was playing a Drow Rogue. Did I lose you? No, I'm here. Sorry. All right, cool. I'm here. Um, yeah, I like that one. That would be really good. So what are you doing, Brian, this week? That's Nerd Day. I've been prepping for Starfinder. I mean, I, I was even tempted to use that for my nerdy thing if I hadn't started Neuromancer. Because I've been doing a lot of prep. I, I The game we're running right now is... Since it's a solo game, I tend to scale things back a little bit, try to make it less combat-oriented, uh, because I don't like to have big deal combats, because I just don't want the player to have to wait for the NPCs to finish the fight. It, it has to be player-focused, so I, it, it's more noir and less adventure. Um, what okay. I did to make it easy to prep is I have the, par- I have the adventure going on in parallel with the Dead Suns adventure, and events are happening in Dead Suns, and Heather's playing a character that is doing things parallel to that. And for the people playing Dead Sons, I just used the characters from the Androids and Aliens podcast. Oh, cool. Except I stole one of the characters, Dr. Friss, and have it as a companion to Heather. So Dr. Friss is not a member of that party in my my game universe. Oh. And I well, highly recommend cool. Androids and Aliens if you, have, if you haven't checked it out yet. It's really good. I haven't had a chance yet. No, it, it's a nice introduction to Starfinder, and it's entertaining. And it had, um, it's more emotional than most Pathfinder games I've seen. There's there's a lot of really cool story stuff going on. Um, huh. They they use a technique in their game that I really enjoy, where they inter they they stick in flashbacks of the characters every once in a while to give you a better feel of their background. They don't tell you the backgrounds at first. They mix in these cutscenes where they act out things from their past. So you learn a little bit more of the characters as you go on with the events in the adventure. I like that. Um, Critical Role for the, their new season, they've, they've done something that I, I, I've kind of liked. He's had, um, for personal like beat moments, for certain things that he thinks are important for character development, not so much for everybody. He has the other players leave the table for a few minutes, and they, and they have a private moment. Like uh, the first time... Uh, the Ford, their warlock, met his basically his his benefactor, the the Leviathan. He had everybody leave the table, and he met him in a dream sequence, completely alone. They knew something. The only reason why they knew something happened is because their character woke up puking seawater. Cool. Yeah. So he does that every now and then. It was it's really cool. Be tricky to do in a home game though. Be be kind of mean to do in a home game though. Yeah, it's kind of hard to do that in a home game. I, I can't really do cutscenes in my game with Heather because it's just the two of us. Yeah, that would be funny. <laughs> but I've, I've run a lot of solo games over the years. And I mean, it's sometimes you just do what you got to do to be able to play. Yeah, this is true. So and we're only, we should only be missing one person next Friday. Yeah, I, I, um, I think we're done. Yeah, I think this is this has been a, actually I really enjoyed this one. And you, we could definitely do way more episodes on, on this category alone. So, so treasure next week. Treasure, yes, treasure next week for sure. I really hope Erica can make it. I hope so too. So, but today talking about the undead was awesome. Had a lot of fun doing it. And I, I guess I impressed you with my knowledge. You definitely did impress me with your knowledge. <laughs> so, but it was a good episode, and you know, 
I've been your host, Special Mikey, along with me was Super Vegan Brian. Goodbye, nurse. And this has been Nerd Podcast Radio. And as always, stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay off. Say okay. goodbye, Brian. Get yourself off. Goodbye.